Welcome to episode number six of the All Things Local podcast, and my second in my new role as acting director of the Center for Nonprofit and NGO Studies. In this episode, I interview Amanda Christensen, the superintendent of the DeKalb County Regional Office of Education. Although she has an extensive teaching background, you might be surprised at what she really wanted to be when she grew up. Hint, it wasn't a teacher. She does her work with a social justice lens, trying to improve educational access and support for all children in DeKalb County. The Regional Office of Education does so much behind the scenes for DeKalb County children, and I hope you learn as much as I did. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to our podcast, All Things Local, a monthly podcast about issues and ideas in our local communities from the people who research and serve them, brought to you by the School of Public and Global Affairs at Northern Illinois University. I'm your host, Dr. Alicia Shadiman, Associate Professor here at NIU. We'll hear from researchers and public service workers in government and nonprofit organizations across communities about topics and issues affecting our towns, villages, cities, and neighborhoods. Well, I'm Amanda Christensen, and I'm the Regional Superintendent of Schools for DeKalb County. I began teaching in 98. I taught for a couple years at uh, Granger Middle School in, uh, in Aurora, part of uh, District 204. I had a student taught there and then got hired at Granger Middle School. Did that for a couple years. I felt like I wasn't serving the community where my heart was. And so I wanted to, you know, come back and teach in DeKalb. So then I taught for a year at KEC in the, um, in, I think it was, I don't know if it was called Restart at the time, but it was, uh, it was our, it was what our safe school is that actually runs through the ROE to KEC now. That's a um, lot of acronyms, man. <laughs> it is. I know. Get ready. I'm in education. <laughs> I love it. Um, and so I taught there for a year and because that apparently deemed me an expert on at-risk youth, um, I think part of why I got hired at DeKalb High School was to help help serve um, that population of, of students because I was assigned a couple classes of, you know, strugglers, those that had multiple failures. Um, and so um, I was able to come back and start teaching at DeKalb High School where I had graduated from. You don't have to tell me the year. It's all good. <laughs> um, yeah, we moved high schools in eleven. That was when the new one went up, and I was there actually only for a little over a year and uh, ran for regional superintendent and won and quit and was in my new job within, like, two weeks. So it was a little crazy. Is it an elected? It's an elected position. I would never have known that. Mm-hmm. And it feels wow. a little weird being elected because it's like, yeah. well, my constituency is every child. Um, but yeah, it's an elected position. So I was just elected in November again, and I will be sworn in this July 1 for my next four-year term. And is there a term limit, or as long as you get elected, you can stay? There are no term limits for this position, um, and it's a four-year term. So DeKalb County is stuck with me until uh, 2023 right now. What did you think when you were in high school, that this was the trajectory? Did you always want to be a teacher? Oh, gosh, Not necessarily... (laughs) superintendent no no okay so as a child i wanted to be a dolphin trainer (laughs) 
That's probably one of the most rare ones I've yes. heard. In fact, one of my first tattoos was of a dolphin because I wanted to be a she dolphin. She says first, folks, so we're going to see what else comes up in the next 45 minutes. Um, dolphin so trainer. that was the first okay. thing I wanted to be. And then I toyed with, uh, you know, doctor, lawyer. Um, and then I really wanted to be an archaeologist, I thought. Um, until I took an archaeology course here at NIU in my undergrad. And really then I decided I had just wanted to be Indiana Jones. I really didn't want to do the work. Mm-hmm. You had the romantic and, version and, yes, of, yeah. of an archaeologist. And so I moved away from art history and archaeology and into English, which I'd always been strong with, the literature, and finished my teacher cert then. So you have lifelong roots here. Did you grow up mm-hmm. here too? Yep. Born and raised here in DeKalb. Wow. Love it. And your family yeah. still here? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. My wow. yep. My sister's here. My mom does live in Sycamore, but you know, very uh, very local. We're a pretty small family, but um, we've we've always been here. One of the other questions I'd asked was, what was mm-hmm. uh, you you were not hired as a dolphin trainer, but what no. was your first paid job? <laughs> My first paid job. You got a paycheck, um, a hard yes, paycheck. A hard paycheck. Yeah. I was 13, had to go get a work permit. Um, if I wanted any spending money in my home, then um, I needed to go earn it. And so I worked at Village Commons Bookstore in the uh, textbook department. And gosh, the like the cards and gift department. Um, and so that was my first paycheck. <laughs> yes. do, you, do, you, do you still go back to that job? Was there any lessons that you learned? How long did you do? How long did you do it? Well, but... I did it for a few years. Okay. Um, and then I worked at a movie theater. To, um, it was to, downtown. To, yeah, it was okay. the downtown. It's okay. where uh, yeah. debutantes. Is that where debutantes yep. is now? Yep. yep. I worked there. So I guess I was always doing customer service mm-hmm. because, of course, at some point I waitressed for several years yep. too. So I think that uh, a lot of the communication I need to do today with people and interactions uh, really came from a pretty young age of... Tell us how the regional Office of Education kind of works with the districts and how does that layer together to form this education system? Regional offices are, and we're, we're one of the few left that are single county regional offices. We're big enough that uh, the county can sustain just, uh, you know, can sustain an office. Um, Several others are multi-county, especially the further south you head down into Illinois. But we serve as the intermediary between the state and our local school districts. So a lot of what we are mandated to do by statute um, involves compliance. So every year we inspect every building. We, uh, we oversee educator licensure. Uh, we do full compliance audits in our districts every three years. That's kind of a, um, I would say, the main statutory duty plus every report in the world that um, the state. That, that, <laughs> yeah, that the state requires districts typically will um, you know submit them to the regional superintendent as the first level of approval before it moves on to the Illinois State Board of Education. What's your mission? Do you guys have your own separate mission for the mm-hmm. ROE? What's that? Well, what's interesting is that all that that I just said regarding what our mandatory duties are 
every ROE really kind of develops on their own based on what the needs of their community uh, are. And so our general mission for our for all ROEs is is really to serve and support children in our community. Very broad. Um, we, though, as a, as a local entity, um, we have a couple different teams within our office. And so, for instance, the professional development team. Um, together, we built our own, um, you know, our own mission as a team, our early learning uh, team, which is brand new this past year, um, they developed their own mission too. I would say the common threads though um, are that we look at the whole child and we advocate for their needs with the framework of social, social justice in mind and that we are here to um, to support and advocate for children. And does that go for, um, and so this is just my understanding mm -hmm. of it, um, you support the public school districts. Mm -hmm. Is there also a role there in the private schools or home schools, or is that not under your umbrella? Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting is that there's there's kind of a part of the population probably doesn't even know the ROE exists. And then there's probably another part of the population that thinks the ROE is the boss of every school, and that's not the case. The, the school boards are the, you know, the local authority for, um, for our public schools. Where private schools fit into all of it is that um, if, if they are a private school that has sought recognition from ISBE, which is 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 um, is the Illinois State Board of Education. Okay. okay. So if they have sought recognition, then yes, the ROE does have more compliance pieces related. If they are a private school that is wishing to really run purely as a private school, we certainly would consider ourselves a community partner to them, but we do not hold a jurisdiction over them. So do you guys keep those numbers on how many school-age kids are in the public school versus private, or is that something that's, is that data at the state level? We, um, I have access to all of the student enrollment numbers from public schools, so that I can just pull up. That's part of my job of knowing that. Um, private schools, though, we do need to ask for that information from them. And then if we're going to talk about students who are homeschooled, that is like a whole different um, realm because homeschooled students, um, while it is offered to them um, to be registered with the state, there is no obligation to do so. There is no obligation for any collection of data and they would not fall under our typical jurisdiction. The only time, um, so so really, we have we don't have numbers of students who are homeschooled in the county because they don't have to report them. Right. The only time that um, really we do, I guess, get involved, we would of course offer 
support or services if anyone asked. Um, sometimes we get calls from homeschools um, where they want just recommendations on a curriculum to follow, which we can't really provide a recommendation, but we can provide them some avenues to go seek some of the some of the curricula. And then occasionally we do also get like concerned citizens or concerned family members who um, who may feel that the, the quality of the education in the homeschool environment is not what it should be. And then they do ask us to at least offer support. Who do you answer to other than through the electoral process? Is that really how you're supervised or you're given direction for how you do your job? I do not have a board that oversees me. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's you and the electorate. It is, yeah, it really is a, a constituency um, uh, responsibility to keep me accountable. And my responsibility back is to, um, you know, run a good office and run good programs and serve, you know, serve the community. Now, because part of um, our funding does come from the county board and we are considered a county office, I do consider DeKalb County government and, uh, you know, an, an oversight um, entity for my office. I mean, we're in their facilities. We use their information management, their security. Mm. Um, and so we're very much a part of that, um, that system. But any, you know, hires or performance evaluations or choices in what grants I pursue, those types of things, um, we have autonomy over that within my office. The county um, budget, I am accountable to the county board then for how, how that is spent. So that that's, financial link. That's who I, I answer mm -hmm. to then, yeah. And then annually I prepare an annual report that um, gives them, as well as anyone else in the community, um, a picture of trend data and what have, what have we been doing. Tell me what your office looks like. How many people are there? You said you're in the county building, mm -hmm. North Annie Glidden. Yep. Um, yep. We're in the community yeah. outreach building. We have, I think, 18 employees right now. Programming has grown. We have uh, responded in each case to really needs that the community had, um, asks of us from uh, other organizations or entities to take over some programming. And so we have grown and kind of expanded outside of our original physical office. And now we have another little uh, office down the hall. And then um, we took over a wing of what's called the incubator at the Community Outreach Building. And so we have uh, uh, eight individuals there right now in that part of the incubator that we pay rent for in order to be in that, in that facility um, out of grants that we have received. So, but we have about 18 folks. What are the big things that you see out there that you guys are really digging into from the okay. regional perspective? With the advent of ESSA, Every Which is, Student Succeeds Act. Wow. 
<laughs> which replaced NCLB, No Child, Child. Left Behind Act, um, with the advent of, of ESSA. Our, all of our schools are now given designations, exemplary, commendable, underperforming, and lowest performing. I think one of the things we have to be very conscious of is each year any of our schools could fall into those designations, and so we just need to be kind of ready and prepared for how to partner or how to support uh, them uh, when that does happen, um, especially with the inclusion of chronic absenteeism now as part of that formula, um, because we also run truancy intervention. We are, you know, we are anticipating that the chronic absenteeism part of the formula will help push, if you can call it that, mm -hmm. will help, will contribute to schools in addition to those already that are named underperforming. So that's one issue. In addition to that, poverty in general is an issue. I mean, we, I think we're sitting at 60% free and reduced lunch in DeKalb School District itself. And I think we're at maybe 38% countywide. So we have pockets where, no, it's not a significant issue, unless, of course, you're one of those children living in poverty. Then it doesn't matter what the number is. It's a significant issue for you, period. Um, and so that is, um, you know, that's something that we're always trying to help with. And uh, one of the things that uh, one of our grants is, uh, it's called McKinney-Vento. So it's the federal law that uh, helps to reduce barriers for children who are homeless or in transitional housing. And so um, we do look for all the ways we can possibly support those children and youth. And then I would also say one of the other things we take a look at is um, transportation is, mm -hmm. is a significant issue for some of the areas um, across DeKalb County. DeKalb and Sycamore are very rich in resources. We have a lot of things to offer families, a lot of supports. But if you live in Kirkland or you live in Samanac, access to these resources are not nearly as accessible. And so we're always struggling with how can we bring the resources to them if they can't get to the resource. The last one that we are absolutely directly responding to right now um, that I really wanted to talk about <laughs> um, is our children are now being, um, I don't want to use the word assessed because assessment sometimes has a, a bad word in education now, like it's imposed upon us, um, but there is an assessment now called KIDS. And it, it happens by the 40th day of kindergarten. And it's observational data collected by the kindergarten teacher. And our first baseline of that was fall of 2017. Now, of course, we didn't get the data until almost a year later. So um, the fall of 2018 data is supposed to be released in June. The main things it looks at is um, are the are children entering kindergarten ready, again, by whatever formula was devised to say ready, in, um, in literacy, in math, and social-emotional learning. 
And so, and that, so that's when we are looking at self-awareness and self-regulation. And what we are looking at, um, when I say we, I don't mean only my office. We have a kindergarten readiness collaboration um, that started out of DeKalb County Community Foundation. And so we as a steering committee are looking at that data also uh, across the county. And when we saw what our numbers were, we decided that we needed to respond um, with something that across the county we could do for children birth to age three. Um, and so we kicked off, it's, it's really a community saturation project, and it's called Basics to Calp County. Uh, you can go to our website, that's up and running now, basicstocalpcounty.org. It is so simple, it is so user-friendly, it is five research-based things to do with children that promotes healthy brain development. Uh, it came out of Harvard in an achievement gap study that was done there, and um, DeKalb decided to adopt it and, and make it our own. And so um, that is a great example of how we as an office, we as a collaborative, responded to data that was indicating there is a need in our community. And is that an express need based on where, how do we look within the state or how do we look across the nation? Like, is it, mm. what's the relative right. scale there? Right. Well, um, we can compare to the state. We couldn't compare nationally because not everyone does this assessment. Okay. But we can look at it across, you know, across the state and see where we are. We can see where individual districts are. And then, of course, each school, they can dive further and take a look at classroom data or individual data. We don't use that. That's, that's theirs um, unless they ask us to work with them on that. Um, but we're just looking at kind of the aggregate. It's, and while it does vary across the county, the numbers were high enough in enough areas that um, it was it was alarming, um, and and that's just one piece of data. I should say too is that DeKalb County Community Foundation had also done a collaborative impact study, and, and we heard that there was this this divide where our early learning world and our our K twelve world were they weren't talking. Mm. And, um, and that is actually one of the things that the ROE has been charged with to bring those worlds together. Bring those worlds to, <laughs> absolutely. To bridge yeah. the, to bridge those worlds so that we can have better alignment and we can have com a community that, um, prepares our children. Um, um, because I mean, the community, if you think of it this way, the community and the parent as the first teacher, they've got four or five years to really make all of those brain development gains before they enter school. And we already have achievement gaps that have started. Right. So we need to be starting at birth or prenatally in order to prevent what we know statistically will happen, which is that achievement gap will widen. Is a lot of this driven by the income of the family and all of those things that get combined into that? But 
I can't say in looking only at the publicly available data that um, there's a direct tie because I'm not looking at it the way um, a district's looking at it where they can see, oh, that child is free reduced lunch. Oh, look at that score. I, I don't have access to looking at it that way. That being said, we should be very, and, and when this time when I say we, I mean we as a community should be very conscious of families from low income and the barriers they can face. If they don't have transportation, they don't have access to health care, they don't have access to um, support systems um, here locally or don't have family here, um, don't have access to proper nutrition, live in, you know, in housing that is not adequate or, or could have led. You know, I, you know, there's the whole gamut of barriers that happen when you aren't middle class or up. It seems to be like we're at a time right now where people think investing in education is only about the individual investment. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go become a lawyer and I'm going to earn a lot of money and, and yay me. Mm -hmm. Um, People in higher ed and in education generally, I'm guessing, it's not just that this individual does well. Mm-hmm. It's collectively we do well if our children and right. grandchildren and our neighbors are also doing well, and that's tied to education. But those are those are not typical conversations we're ready to have yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the... I mean, one of the toughest issues that a lot of people don't want to talk about is not only the connection to um, to low income, but the connection to to race or to language barriers. And uh, those are conversations that we need to have, because if our numbers are clearly showing us that we are failing particular student populations, whatever that population may be, then we need to have a concerted effort to make things equitable for those students. And if that means increasing English language learning, if that means going into uh, neighborhoods that are predominantly black and being able to offer services right there as part of the community, then that is that is what we should be doing. It builds a better community overall. Um, so I asked to see if you could remember a story mm-hmm. that sticks out um, that maybe yeah. confirmed that this is the, this is where you're supposed to be, Amanda. <laughs> you're supposed to be in that chair <laughs> doing okay. this work. Well, actually, this happened very recently. Um, and in addition to uh, the basics, the birth to three programming that actually is housed in, in my office, and um, in addition to that, This past year, we also added a community outreach for early learning part-time position, and we uh, sought some community funding, uh, local community uh, foundation funding, in order to provide um, some uh, family success liaison for K through three. So what we were noticing is that our, well, first of all, our truancy caseloads, we are in, in crisis right now. 
the number of students we have that have been referred to us for truancy. Um, and define truancy just so sure, I know what you're talking sure. about. Okay, so truancy legally is uh, five unexcused absences in the last 180 days of school. And it doesn't start over when the school year starts over. So it goes uh. back 180 days. So if you decide to not go to school a lot in May, and then you skip <laughs> one in September, it could push you into a truancy referral. Okay, now chronic truant is when you hit nine. At nine unexcused absences, you are eligible to be petitioned to court. It is considered truancy if it is age 12 and up. It is considered educational neglect if it is under age 12. However, we call all of it truancy to make things simpler. Um, we have changed the name of our team, though, to the student success team um, because we really did start a new focus of trying to be more proactive. Um, we, we've always put into place as many interventions as we could before we petitioned to court. Um, but what we decided to do was add another level of intervention, and that's where our family success liaisons came from. And, um, and actually, the newest partnership that we have with DeKalb School District as their learning partner because of those ESSA designations I was talking about before um, has allowed us to increase our capacity to help um, interventions for truancy. But anyway, that's so, the, yeah, back th to the that's story. The context. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so I wanted to explain we had these family success liaisons in place. So one of them made a home visit, found a uh, found a mother who uh, had a younger child in the home, didn't have a crib, didn't what she, didn't have what uh, uh, she needed to be able to take care of that that infant. Between that family success liaison, another one, and then um, maybe one or two other people too in that team, they mobilized, and within like two days, they had the mother what she needed, and that is is really a testament, I think, to the type of people who want to come work for us because they have the heart and they have the passion as well as the skill and knowledge. And that's, that's really magical to find. And it's also a testament to somehow our vision of putting that family success liaison in place and ha building this new team, that made a huge difference for that family and that child. So. In, in those situations, too, do you work mm -hmm. with nonprofits? How do they come mm -hmm. into your life mm -hmm. over oh. at the ROE? <laughs> oh, my gosh, all the time. <laughs> I will tell you, okay, so I campaigned in 2012 as being, let's see if I can get all the words right, a communicator, collaborator, resource, and advocate. That's what I said. And I meant it. I absolutely meant it about myself as qualities. What I didn't fully grasp, though, I think, until I was in the office and really doing the work and making decisions and revisioning things is how much my job really did rely on collaboration. And so we work with, with Hope Haven, we work with Safe Passage, uh, we work with DeKalb County Community Foundation, DeKalb County Community Gardens. I mean, we just purchased, we decided to sponsor six families this year. And so we bought the boxes of Hope 
Mm, the um, fresh produce. That the they, fresh produce. Right, right. And so um, the six folks that work on the student success team, um, they are all sponsoring families. And then that's a way for them to stay connected with them over the summer, too. Mm. And so that they... Right, they, because there's no... The food programs in the schools mm-hmm. go away over the summer, right? Yeah. So then they are delivering those boxes of hope every two weeks. Um, uh, and of course, Cobb County Community Gardens appreciates our contribution to their program. We appreciate what they are doing to be able to bring food to children who need it. Um, one of the things, though, that we are trying to do, uh, and this goes back with our um, basics to Cobb County, our community saturation, is that um, we want basics in you know our library, all libraries in all of our park districts, and so our basics coordinator has gotten to all of the libraries and begun working with them on how basics can be embedded into their programming. The Born Learning Trail that is going up uh, with the Cal Park District, at, I think it's Lions Park. We worked with United Way and Park District in order to have one sign at the end that is basics oriented. And you may have touched this already, mm-hmm. but is there anything our listeners would be surprised at? This isn't necessarily the job that you thought you'd have when you were younger. Mm -hmm. But is there anything looking back at where you are in your career? What would you tell that 20 something, that undergrad, Amanda? Mm -hmm. I would tell her that education, while the system does mean a dissemination of knowledge, yes, it does mean pedagogy and instructional delivery. Those things usually don't happen well until you've developed relationships. I didn't see that younger and in the, you know, in the field at the beginning. I didn't I didn't see that. I hadn't grasped that yet. But I learned it. And and when I say relationships, I mean just, you know, you don't have to be best friends with everyone. It's that you're you're honest and you're open, can have conversations like what we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier. I mean, even just bringing up equity. Can you have that conversation with somebody else and and be comfortable? and be productive in that conversation. It's those kinds of opportunities for relationship building that I think are really important. It's hard to collaborate. Right, I was just going to say that's a, it's especially a hard Especially if you are not naturally extroverted. I'm, I'm rather introverted. And so it is, it's a very conscious skill building that that I need to do and I always and I always reflect upon it and think could I have said something better what could I have done differently how could I approach this in a different way did I offend anyone it's a very I think we need to be very reflective in order to grow and learn I do a lot of that reflection is important for all of us and that's part of being a that is absolutely part of being a teacher We hope you enjoyed this episode of All Things Local, a monthly podcast brought to you from the School of Public and Global Affairs at Northern Illinois University. I'm Dr. Alicia Shadiman. Join me next time to discuss issues and ideas facing our local communities. To learn more about our faculty and programs here at NIU, go to niu.edu backslash SPGA.